There's an old uh, formula for public speaking or, or sermons or things like that. Uh, it's been used by, by preachers and speech givers for, for centuries. Uh, it's actually said to have first been used by Aristotle. Uh, more recently, it's been promoted by uh, Dale Carnegie. He's the guy that wrote uh, how, to win flu- uh, win, how to Win Friends and Influence People, stuff like that. Uh, and it's been used by, by many pastors over the centuries. And it's a pretty simple formula. There's just kind of three steps to it. Uh, and anybody could use this if you ever have to write a speech for any purpose or anything. You, you can use this template. Uh, it's pretty simple. And it goes like this, and I'll, I'll quote it from an old Southern preacher. I think he says it best. He says, First, I tell him what I'm about to tell him. Second, I tell him with all my might what I said I'd tell him. And third, lest they forget, I tell them what I told them. Uh, it's a pretty simple but effective uh, tool for communication. It's basically repeat, repeat, repeat. And I think maybe that Peter was following this formula as he was writing the book of 1 Peter. Uh, we're now about halfway through chapter 2 of 1 Peter, and as I was preparing for this message, uh, it all seemed very familiar. Much of what Peter has to say in this part of chapter 2 uh, is very similar to what he's already said in chapter 1. Um, and, and obviously, this is a very important point that Peter's trying to get across because he is repeating it several times, and he'll bring it up again later on yet. You'll recall that the kind of the overarching theme of 1 Peter is this idea of, of how do we live as followers of King Jesus in a world that doesn't recognize or acknowledge his kingdom, right? That's kind of the idea. Um, as Christians, we are citizens of one kingdom while living in another. You know, in that sense, we're all very much, you know, like these refugees. We're, we're living in a place that is not our home. Uh, we're living in a world that thinks that our, our practices and our values and our beliefs are, are very strange, to say the least. Uh, and quite often throughout history, we've seen that Christians have been persecuted because of these differences, right? Because we do not belong, uh, because we, we pledge allegiance to another king, uh, Christians have often been you know, looked down upon and, and marginalized. Uh, we've been persecuted, even uh, physically uh, attacked, even put to death some people. Um, e- even in parts of our world today, we see the worst of this happening. Uh, we see it in, in the news occasionally of Christians being actually killed for their faith. Uh, and even here in Canada, even though we, we haven't got to the point where people are being physically persecuted for their faith, uh, certainly we can see a growing hostility towards Christian values and beliefs. But this is exactly the situation that Peter is addressing in this letter. You know, how should Christians live in a world that is hostile towards their Christianity? And Peter's already begun to answer that question partially in chapter 1, but he's going to fill it out uh, with a little bit more detail as we work through the verses ahead. So let's pause here and we'll pray, and then we'll jump right into it this morning. Dear God, again, we thank you that we can gather here and we can look at your word. We thank you that it has been preserved for us uh, over all these centuries, and we can know today that uh, these words are the words that you have for us uh, to read today. We pray that as we read your words, that you would speak to us, uh, you would challenge our our false beliefs, uh, and that we would know the truth, and that we would choose to obey the truth and follow you and get to know you more. Uh, So I pray these things in your name. Amen. So we begin today in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 11, and it goes like this. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. 
Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. And we're going to pause here. Originally, I had uh, written that I was going to go from 11 to 17, but as I wrote the message, it didn't get that far. So we're going to do just those two verses today, and we'll dig into it a little bit here. Uh, Peter begins, first of all, by reminding us of our identity. He says that we are temporary residents and foreigners, right? Because we don't belong to this world. We belong to God. Uh, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he adopted us into his family. We're, we're now part of his kingdom. And we've talked quite a bit about this already as we've gone through 1 Peter in the weeks past. Uh, in fact, actually, in the, the two verses just before this, uh, I think that Mike shared with us a couple of weeks ago, uh, Peter writes this in verse 9. He says, You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you receive God's mercy. See, God has called us to be citizens of his holy nation. God chose us to belong to him and to his kingdom. And I want you to notice why God chose us. And I don't know uh, if Mike touched on this or not, but, but notice why God chose us to be part of this kingdom. In verse 9, it says, God chose us so that we can show others the goodness of God. You know, that's really why God has us living here as temporary residents and foreigners in this world. We're here to show others the goodness of God. Uh, during our, our scripture time this morning, we read from Matthew 5, 14, which says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You know, God's purpose for us in this world is to show the light of God's goodness so that others can praise and honor God as well. You know, God has set us in this world like a, a city on a hilltop or, or like a lamp that gives light to everyone in the house, and that's why God has placed us in this world. So as temporary residents and foreigners whose purpose is to shine the light of God's goodness to others, Peter warns us of two conflicts that we are sure to face. Uh, he says in verse 11, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So Peter warns us of two conflicts that every Christian will face, an, an internal conflict and an external conflict. And I'm, I'm not entirely settled that the word conflict is the best word to use for both of these, but certainly it fits for the first one. Uh, Peter starts by saying, to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Now that seems to me like pretty strong language that Paul is using here. Right? These worldly desires must be pretty serious stuff for Peter to say that they wage war against your very souls. So what exactly is Peter talking about here? Well, Peter's not talking so much about you know, sinful acts per se, but he's talking about sinful motives and appetites. Right? The, the worldly desires that we have are, are desires or appetites that we have simply by, by, nature, or by virtue of our human nature. Right? It's our desire to do things 
uh, for the purpose of satisfying ourselves, right, and giving us pleasure rather than glorifying and honoring God. For example, uh, it is certainly not a sinful act for me to want to preach a good sermon, right? That, that's, that's not a sinful act, is it? However, the question is, what is my motive for wanting to preach a good sermon? You know, do I want to preach a good sermon so that I can, I can feel good about myself? You know, so I can feel, I, I'm, a, I'm a skilled and talented preacher. You know, do I do it so, so I can have the praise of people? Oh, that was, a, that was a great sermon, Pastor. You know, is that my motivation for wanting to preach a good sermon? Or, on the other side, do I want to preach a good sermon so that I can praise and honor God? You know, even if nobody likes what I have to say. You know, you think back of the Old Testament prophets, nobody wanted to hear the things that they said, but they did it for the, the honor and the glory of God. So, there's two very different motivations that we can have for the same act, right? One motivation is, is totally self-serving, and it's all concerned about me, and the other one is, is Christ-serving, and it's all concerned about God. Uh, two very different motivations. In fact, Jesus talks a lot about our motivations and how we can do, we can do a lot of good things for, for bad reasons. Uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Watch out! Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogue and the streets to, to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and let your Father who sees every, or, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. And there's actually more in that chapter that Jesus goes on to talk about, right? We can do a lot of good things for bad reasons. And it's those those bad reasons, those, those selfish, self-centered reasons that Peter is warning us of here. Those are the worldly desires that wage war against our very souls. You know, I think in, as Christians in, in our culture today, it's very easy for us to do a lot of good things, but for the wrong reasons. You know, even whether it's, you know, good Christian things like serving on the church board or, or helping with kids club or, or even just attending church on a Sunday morning, we can do those good things, but with some selfish motives. You know, are, are, there, are we really here to, to worship and honor God and give Him praise? Or, or are we there, you know, to, to make sure that we look like good Christians so people don't think that we're, we're slacking or whatever? Or, I mean, if we come to church and we volunteer, we're, we're pretty good, at least better than those other guys that don't, right? Do we do those sort of things with those selfish motives? You know, I think many times our motives are more self-serving than Christ-serving. And of course, examining our motives is important not just for the, you know, the Christian things we do, but for all the things that we do. You know, as I, I thought about my life, I found there's a lot of times when I do things that are, are much more self-serving than God-serving. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that aren't maybe even good or bad per se, um, but I, the, when I do them, I, I can see that I'm doing it because I love the things of the world rather than because I love God. Um, I, I find that a lot of the things that I do are, are simply to you know, please myself rather than to please God. But John uh, explicitly tells us in 1 John 2.15, he says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. 
For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. These are the same worldly desires that Peter warns us about, the craving for for physical pleasure, uh, craving for everything we see, uh, pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from the world. And what happens is when we chase after those things, when we desire them more than we desire to honor God, you know, that light that we're supposed to shine, it dims. You know, we become just like everybody else in the world, right? We live for all the things that the world can offer us rather than living to bring honor and glory to God. You know, and that's precisely the thing that, that hides our light under a basket. You know, in that same passage uh, in Matthew that talks about us being the light of the world, Jesus says in uh, Matthew 5.13, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You know, I don't want to be a worthless Christian. I don't want to lose my saltiness. I don't want my own selfishness to dim the light that God has called me to shine. But I think too often that's exactly what I allow to happen. I don't know about you, but I find Peter's warning here very convicting in my life. I have to keep away from these worldly desires that, that wage war against my very soul. You know, God's called me to be a, a lighthouse you know, to you as my church family, to my own physical family, to my neighbors, to, to this community. Uh, I don't want to allow my own selfishness just to dim that light so that I'm just like everybody else in the community. I don't want uh, people to, to miss out on seeing the goodness of God in my life simply because I'm, I'm selfish, right? And it's for that reason exactly that Peter actually continues with his warning in verse 12. He says, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. And this is the external conflict that I was talking about at the beginning. You know, as followers of Jesus, God has promised us conflict. You know, not health, wealth, and prosperity, but hardships and persecutions and trials. You know, because we do not belong to this world, you know, Jesus himself promised, in this world, you will have trouble. Uh, To go back to that same passage in Matthew 5, verse 11 says, God blesses you when, not if, but when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You know, being mocked, being persecuted, being lied about, being falsely accused, that is nothing new for Christians. Unfortunately, that is just part of the package. But there is a silver lining to all the trials that we do go through. Uh, This is actually a great opportunity for our light to shine all the more. Peter says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors, then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. You know, people are always watching us. You know, if your light is shining at all and people know that you're a Christian, they're going to watch you like a hawk. And chances are, again, if your light is shining at all, you will face persecution because of that. And the, the big difference is, is how we react in those times. Uh, 
if you, you know, you blow up, if you stress out, if you seek revenge, if you fight back, whatever it is, now that's exactly what everyone else in the world does, right? If you react like that, you're no different than, than the Muslim, than the atheist, than the Buddhist, than the whoever, right? Or all the same. Your God makes no difference. But when you face persecution and trials and you continue to be humble and you continue to love those who wrong you, you continue to do what's right, you continue to have joy and peace, when you continue to trust that God will vindicate you in the end, now that's, that's different. That's, that's weird, right? People are going to notice that for sure. And, and Peter says that those people, even, even those people who are the ones accusing you of doing wrong, they're persecuting you, those people will see that you're honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. And, and maybe that's maybe another point that I should emphasize here. They'll give honor to God, not necessarily today, but when God judges the world. You know, it'd be really nice if Peter said, when people see your honorable behavior, they will see the error of their ways, they will stop persecuting you, and they will turn to God for forgiveness and salvation. That would be awesome if that's what Peter said. But that's not what Peter said. Peter says they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. Now, it is certainly possible that some people may turn to God through your godly life and your testimony. And that's certainly the hope. I think that's what, what Peter is aiming for here. That would certainly bring much glory and honor to God on the day he judges the world. And I think that's one of the, the main purposes, why we want to live good and honoring lives among those unbelievers, is to, to win them for Christ. And we should always strive to live in a way that, that because of our lives, People are more inclined to believe the truth of the gospel that we preach. However, that may not always be the case. There may be times when our persecutors simply continue to persecute us. They may never turn to God for salvation. However, even if they don't, at the end of time when God judges the world, uh, Peter says that these people will give glory to God for your honorable behavior. And when they stand before God, they will be forced to acknowledge that God's light of His goodness was shining in your life. Uh, so either way, whether they reject Christ or they accept Him in this life, God will be glorified when we shine our light for Him. And next week, as we finish up uh, into chapter 2 and go into chapter 3, Peter actually goes on to give us some really practical examples of, of what that actually looks like in real life. The next two chapters are really uh, just a, a continuation of here. They're explanations of how we let our light shine uh, and in a variety of examples. He talks about how do we let our light shine to those people who are in authority over us? How do we let our light shine uh, to people like our bosses? In, in their case, they talk about slaves and masters. Uh, how do we let our light shine? for an unbelieving husband or wife? How do we let our, our light shine to our unbelieving neighbors and friends? And he goes through examples of how we do all these things. Uh, and so there's just a, a whole pile of good stuff in there. Uh, so I look forward to sharing that with you in the weeks ahead. But for today, uh, I think I'll just leave you with these few verses that we read earlier. And I don't think I can say it any better than what Jesus did. But this is a, the, kind of the, the concluding thought of the matter. It says in verse 13, you, and of course that includes you, you people of the Penhold Church of Hope, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, 
Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You know, that's, that's our goal.